Hey, thanks so much for joining today's message online here at Thrive Church. This is Pastor Kevin. We are one church in two locations, and we're excited about what God's doing at each location at Thrive Church. Well, today you've joined us in a series called What Would Jesus Undo? Yeah, What Would Jesus Undo? It's WWJU. You've heard of WWJD. Remember the bracelets, right? Remember the t-shirts? Remember the fad that went on about what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, we wanted to flip the script and say, you know what? I wonder what things Jesus would undo, especially in our society today. What things would Jesus undo and want to see us as followers of him to undo in our lives? And so we hope that today's message will inspire you to take next steps in your faith journey. We pray that this will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, here's our goal is that you grow in Him. Why? Because your growth matters to us. All right, so I hope you enjoy today's message. We are seven weeks from Easter. Actually eight, but seven leading up into it. And so what we want to do in the weeks leading to Easter is we're doing a series called What Would Jesus Undo? So the next several weeks, what we're going to look at is, is if Jesus could walk the earth today and have a conversation with us, what would he undo in our lives? What would he undo in the church? What would he undo in society? And actually the idea comes from, you guys, any guys remember the, the WWJD bracelets, t-shirts, remember that? Anybody remember those things, right? I remember even before I was a, a Christian, like I saw kids in high school wearing it and asking, what, what does that mean? And what, what would Jesus do? And I was like, who cares? You know, that's, that's my response to them. Um, but that was a really popular wave. Christians had shirts and bracelets and there was all types of things going on about what would Jesus do? Well, that actually came from a book that was written in 1896 from Charles Sheldon, a little book called In His Steps. And in that book, he posed the question for believers in every situation, we have to look at what would Jesus do in this situation. Well, here's what we're going to do. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what would Jesus undo. We're going to flip the script. And today, I want to talk to you about spiritual indifference. And if you will, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to Revelation 3, verse 14. That's Revelation 3, uh, verse 14. I recently, recently was looking through some old photos, uh, and I found one of when I was 16 years old at Christmas time. And the photo was of me, and I wish I, I had it to show you. Usually I have these things. I just didn't have that, that photo. But I remember, um, I, I did look for it. Um, I had this, this gift mom, my mom had got me, and it was a, a shirt. And I was holding it up, and the look on my face, though, was completely like, <laughs> and she was taking a picture. She's like, Smile, honey, smile. You know, mama's on Christmas. She, my mom was like this happy, lovey, just woman, loved to give gifts to everybody and things like that. And so she got this, this gift for me. Well, here's the deal. My mom's in heaven. God rest her soul. But there's something about mama that everybody knew, and we eventually told mama. Mama was really bad at giving gifts. <laughs> she loved to give them. It's like somebody who loves to sing, but just is not good at it. Like, she, like, loved to give gifts, but she was horrible. So, mom um, would get, it's like, you know, when I was in, in high school, I, I skateboarded. I was playing the rock band. I, you know, I just, the way I dressed, was I, I shopped at the, at the skate shop. I didn't shop at, you know, JCPenney. Well, mama shopped at JCPenney. And that shirt was a shirt from JCPenney that I was thinking, if my friends caught me in this, I would never have a friend again. I was like, I don't like the shirt, I don't like pictures, and I don't like happy, fun stuff. Will you please stop? And the look at my face, I looked at it, and you know when I saw that, I know we're laughing about it, but it actually saddened my heart. Because as I look back, you know, especially my mom, she, she loved me. And she loved 
to give that gift to me because she loved me. It had nothing to do whether it was a cool shirt or not. And I would do anything to go back to get, give me all the ugly shirts you can, mom, right? But I realized something is that I was totally indifferent to the gift that she had given me. Totally indifferent to it. So, eh, who cares? It's another stupid shirt for mom. That's how I felt. And as I was thinking about today's message and about kicking off this series and what would Jesus undo, let's just be honest. This includes me. The way that I responded to my mom's gift with that shirt is a lot of times the way we respond to God when he shows us his greatest gift ever, Jesus. He wraps this gift for us. He gives us his son. He sends him. Jesus is crucified, beaten to a bloody pulp, rises again from the dead. When we trust in him, we're made completely right with God. Like, you, it's, it's beautiful. The gospel's beautiful. And we take the greatest gift ever, and we're kind of like, uh, and Jesus, uh, own the king forever. Worship you. God, please stop. I just want to sit down. Why is it so long? Like, you know, that's, we're just kind of like, uh, my son's four, and he started doing that. Oh, uh, I was like, no, 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 no. We ain't starting that, son. No, 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 no. <laughs> And that's the way sometimes we do, like when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God. We kind of have this meh mentality. You know, in this day and time, meh, M-E-H, some of you guys know that. You can hashtag this message as meh. Kind of, maybe how you feel about my preaching, meh. But that's how we, we sometimes treat that. And, and, and I want to share with you today's big idea. And this is why I really want to uh, attack this issue. And I believe Jesus would undo this today. And, and, he, and here it is. Here's today's big idea. Write this down in your notes. Spiritual indifference saddens the heart of God. Spiritual indifference, a spiritual eh, actually saddens the heart of God. And I believe if Jesus could walk in here today, it's something he would undo. You said, how could you say that? How do you know what Jesus would undo? How do you know that? I can tell you how. Because in the first century, there was a church that he had one of his closest followers named John write a letter to. And that was their condition. In the book of Revelation, if you don't know, it's not Revelations, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ, is the name of the book, is that there's a guy named John who followed Jesus, the last living apostle, and he gets exiled to this island. He had been maimed and beaten and just tortured, and they send him off this island by himself, and none other but the risen, the risen resurrected, glorified Jesus shows up to John. And now, you know, chapters 4 through, you know, 21, the end of it, there's a lot about dragons and stars and all that stuff. We don't have time to get into who is the Antichrist, when we come, all that, all, the, all that there. And, and we always wonder about that. But in the first three chapters, you know what, what, what Jesus told John to do? He said, there are seven major churches right now in Asia Minor that I want you to give a message to. I have an opinion about their spirituality. I have an opinion about their stance. I have an opinion about everything. And if you will, John, I want you to write to these seven churches and I want you to deliver this to them so their leader, their pastor, their elder can share my heart with those churches. And one of the churches that we're going to talk about today is the church at Laodicea. Now Laodicea was like in Los Angeles, like right? It was a rich town, very rich. Matter of fact, it had been completely destroyed by earthquake 35 years prior to to this. And they rebuilt that city. That's big back in that day. And that's his first century Rome, right? Rebuilt that city. They were on a very high mountain. And so they had money. And here's what they did on that high mountain. Um, how many of you guys like hot and cold water, right? Isn't that good? Is that, it's good to be able to have hot water for a shower. Does anybody like cold showers? If you raise your hand, I don't believe you. All liars will go to hell. So, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> so here's the deal. I'm joking. So here's the deal. You like hot and cold. Well, they liked hot and cold water too. So here's what they did. They had an, an aqueduct system built from two cities going up to their mountain. One city was called Heropolis. In Heropolis, you got hot water from Heropolis. They, they wanted hot water for their showers, for their coffee, for their tea. The other city was Colossae. And it piped in cold water up to the mountain. Here's the only problem with first century aqueducts. By the time it got up the mountain, the cold water wasn't cold. The hot water wasn't very hot. It was kind of like, ugh. Um, I'll never forget whenever my wife and I first started dating, I had to drive four hours to a wedding. And she came with me. And we drove four hours from North Carolina to Virginia Beach and drove four hours home. And that night we're driving home. We just started dating. She had met my family. I really liked her. I liked her so much. You know, we've been married over 13 years now. So like, together over 13 years. So, so I'm driving back and I had coffee. But something happened to that coffee on that trip. My hot coffee wasn't hot anymore. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. I looked over her and she was over there snoring. She's not at this service. She's at the first one. So I didn't, I didn't mention snoring. She's over there snoring. And here's my thought. I cannot kill this this girl, I really like her. Don't fall asleep, Bordeaux. You got one task. Guess what I did on the way home? I drank a cup of not iced coffee, uh, coffee. Matter of fact, as I say it, I remember drinking it each sip of that coffee. And I was like, I'm going to, the only thing that kept me awake was the gag reflux. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh, oh just don't kill her. This will not end well. So, you know, right? Uh, so, so, so that was terrible. It was nasty. And you're going to watch Jesus show them this rich city, had money to aqueducts. He's going to show them how he felt about their spirituality. And it deals with lukewarm coffee. It deals with lukewarm stuff. Here's what he says to them in verse 14. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. That word means messenger there. So most scholars believe that could be the pastor of that church uh, because you don't really write to angels. And then it says, this is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. That's Jesus speaking of himself. Verse 15. I know all the things you do. This is Laodicea. That you are neither hot nor cold. But I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And they knew exactly what he was saying. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see where you're going with this, Jesus. We understand. Heropolis, we're paying for hot water and it's not very hot when it gets here. Yeah, we know what you mean. That cold water is not very cold. And when we drink it, it's like... And matter of fact, that word spit there, I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to gross you out in church. The Greek word really for that is vomit. Meaning you can get about halfway down and be like, oh. And Jesus is saying your spiritual condition, Laodicea, is one where I actually want to vomit you out of my mouth. You're saying, wait a minute. This is this Jesus? Is this the hippie guy who speaks in a British accent with blue eyes and brown hair who's white and rides on a horse uh, you know and he's giving out marshmallows and candies and he's telling him it's going to be okay dude you mean he would say that? Matter of fact this church Laodicea check this out this is the only church that did not get an encouragement he has nothing good to say about them like literally he's like hey 
I want to come and preach to your church. And this is what Jesus would preach to the church at Laodicea. So you understand that the Jesus that we make up in our minds is not really the Jesus sometimes that is in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that actually in week five of this series. And so keep, keep on going here. He says, I'll, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's harsh language from hippie Jesus. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. They literally were Laodiceans. They were, they were Los Angeles, you know, people who had everything they wanted. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Like, no, I'm good. I don't need anything. Need some prayer? No, I'm good. God, I'm good. Life's good. And Jesus attacks the reason they thought they were good. And in verse uh, 17, here's what he says. He says, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Not naked, naked. If you just moved here to the south, that's a word. That is a level from being naked. So you can be naked and then you can be buck naked. Like naked means you ain't got to, I mean like literally you are beyond naked. And he says that that's your condition. See, they were totally self-sufficient. I got everything I need. I live in a great city. Economically, we are doing awesome. Jesus, I don't need a thing. He's saying you don't understand your spiritual condition. That's why you believe you're good. And you know, that's the beauty of the gospel when God opens our eyes to show us that our spiritual condition is not one of, yeah, I'm good. It's one of being poor and blind and wretched and naked. And that's what he says to him. And then he says this, and I'll explain it to you. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to have what I have. You need to have my riches. These worldly riches you're trusting in are not the ones that are going to fulfill you. And here's what he says. He says, buy buy gold from me. Gold has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Uh, And ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. It was also known for a place to get special ointment. If you had eye troubles was uh, what Laodicea was known for. Verse 19 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. You know, that's the heart of a parent, right? A good father doesn't discipline their child because they're angry at them. They discipline them because they know there's more for them. Yesterday, I had to discipline my, discipline my son. He says, he comes out of time, he says, are you still mad at me? I said, I was never mad at you. I will never be mad at you. I says, I believe those actions weren't very good and you can do a lot better. That's the same way God feels about us. See, we, again, we have in our westernized thinking that God doesn't correct and discipline. If he does it, he loves you. Here's the thing is that if he corrects and disciplines you, it says in Hebrews, it means you're his child. That's a good thing. He says here, he says, so be diligent and turn from your, say it with me, indifference. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Laodicea was indifferent. They were like, meh. They were the meh community church. Meh. Nah. Got all I need. We're good. In verse 20 he says this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. That's Jesus. And we will share a meal together as friends. Now, I used to understand that verse as being for non-believers. Why? Because my grandmother had the English white Jesus with blue eyes, brown hair, right? He could not be Middle Eastern, right? Because Middle Eastern people, according to Americans, are, are enemies. And no, it couldn't be that, of course, which he, that's what Jesus was. I'm teasing a little bit. He wasn't a white guy had a British accent, but that's what my grandmother had up there. And he stood there and he was knocking on the door of somebody's heart. And my grandmother would tell me this every night and thank God for her. She'd say, Kevin, 
Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you let him in, he can come in and save you. Now that's true. Jesus does want to be your savior. However, this is not what this verse is about. Who is the audience? It's the church at Laodicea. The people who already followed Jesus. The idea, the context is you're indifferent as a believer. And here's what is being written there. Jesus is saying, dear fellow Christian, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. Matter of fact, I'm knocking. I'm trying to be intimate with you. And if you'll let me, I'll come in together and share a meal with you. That's why one of our values at Thrive is meals. Because the most intimate thing you could do in the first century with a friend was eat a meal with them. You didn't have the things that we have today, the, you know, the luxuries we have. It was a meal because they worked very hard to prepare those meals. And you would eat with someone. And so Jesus is saying, I want to have intimacy with you. Turn from your indifference. I stand at your door and knock and I want to come in and have a deeper relationship with you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, those who are victorious, verse 21, will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears to hear must hear and listen to what the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So if you have ears today and you can hear, guess what? This is for you. <laughs> and this is for me. And what Jesus was addressing there to this first century church was the idea of spiritual indifference. It saddened his heart to the point that he wanted John to make sure that the messenger of that church had this information for the church at Laodicea. You may say, hey look, we're not in the first century. Thousands of years separate us and Laodicea. We don't have a lot in common, but can I submit to you that myself and you, we all have a lot in common with Laodicea. Because if we're not careful, listen to me. We can slide in to spiritual indifference. It can be so easy to do it. As a matter of fact, if you've followed Jesus more than a day, you have probably had some roller coaster faith, right? And that happens. And today what I want to do, I want us to look at spiritual indifference. I want us to see what God thinks about it. And my heart, here's been my prayer for you all week, is that God would light a fire in you. That God would re-spark the flame in you. Some of you walked away from your faith and God brought you here today to spark a fire of faith in you once again. And here's why this is so important. Because nobody in here wakes up in the morning and says, I think I want to sadden God's heart. Does anybody, is, that, is that anybody's goal in here? Like you get up, you're like, you're like, you know, you're like Snapchatting. Going to sadden God's heart today. With your little, you know, animal stuff on you do, whatever that thing is. <laughs> Instagram and hey, hashtag sadden God's heart. You know, Facebook and tagging. I'm, I'm None of us wake up to do that, right? But unintentionally, we sadden God's heart, just like the church at Laodicea did. And the reason we know that Jesus would want to undo spiritual indifference today, because he wanted to undo it in a church in the first century, and it was so much important that he had John write this message to them. And friends, today I want to submit to you that God has more for you in your life. He has a greater plan than you could imagine. You just don't believe in a historical Jesus and just go about your, your day. God has so much in store for you. And some of us, because of spiritual indifference, are not operating at full capacity of what God has for us because we've slid into that. Matter of fact, um, whenever uh, you know, I got my first uh, smartphone, there was something very interesting about my first smartphone. It was smart, but I wasn't. <laughs> Anybody had that same problem? <laughs> Because, um, you know, whenever I first started using cell phones, I mean, I used the Nokia brick phone to T9 text. But see, some of you laughed. There's nobody under the age of like 
I'd say 28 that just understood. T9, you had to type, I mean, it lived, the right of text message was like Morse code. You might as well send a pigeon to go visit somebody if you're going to text somebody. <laughs> Good gracious. I remember I got my first text message from a guy in my youth group. I was a youth pastor. I was like, what do I even do with this? Like, it's going to take me an hour to respond to this guy. Yes, yeah, so I just called him. Like, I, I, I was used to using flip phones. When I got my first smartphone, I am very thankful for people in my life. Like Keith Rao, your campus pastor here, who is Mr. Tech Guru. Like Keith literally is like, he, if he wasn't here, he'd be at a, at a Mac store working, solving problems. Here's our resident tech guru on everything. And so anyway, Keith was one of the ones who enlightened me that you could sync the phone, and you could do this, and you could integrate apps and do all this stuff. I was like, whoa. Like, I had a smartphone that had so much more capacity, but I was using it like a flip phone on my brick phone. I just want to tell you today that some of us with our faith have a flip phone faith. I mean, we literally are operating at such a lower capacity because we don't have that intimate relationship with Jesus daily. We don't keep the fire stoked daily. And my heart for you is that you would be able to have an unmovable faith that no matter what happens to you, your relationship with God stays steady. I talked to a pastor last week. And uh, we were having this conversation on the side. That's what I do is I work with pastors. Uh, I volunteer to do that. And he called me and, and he was in a broken state. And here's what he said to me. He said, man, he said, I don't want to do this anymore. He said, I went to college and got a degree to teach people the Bible. He says, all I do is balance budgets and try to keep the lights on and keep people happy with cute sermons and stop drama. He said, I am just, he said, you know what? I haven't even prayed or read the Bible this week. He says, I just want to love Jesus again. He says, and doing the work that I'm doing is actually just snuffed my fire out for God and I miss it. Now you look at it and say, how could he do that? Can I tell you, in my life, there have been times, I'm like, because people ask me, so you follow Jesus? I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, I follow Jesus and there's some seasons he follows me. Like he's coming after you, trying to bring me back. Yeah, like, yes, there's just times that you go through things and you totally just, like literally you go on autopilot. You say, God, I'll get back with you. No, you wouldn't say that, but you do that. And even as a pastor, he can do it and I can do it. And that's a conversation of many pastors. I'm telling you something, what I realized in my life, when it came to spiritual indifference, I let the work of God and the work of ministry, actually doing that, destroy the work of God in me. And that's something that you will always hear from me that I always guard against. You can never let what you're doing destroy God's work in your heart. Because as Jesus said, I stand at the door of your, your heart and knock, man. I want to come in. I want to have a relationship with you. And no matter if you're a pastor who you're literally, that's what you do is you read the Bible and you should be praying. No matter if you're on that level or if you feel like you're struggling today, we all struggle with the idea of spiritual indifference. And so what I want to do is help you. How do you not have roller coaster faith where you're on high highs and low lows and you're from here to there to here to there? How do you keep that fire for God and it does not burn out. You know the thing about Moses and the burning bush that I love? Burning bushes happen all the time in the desert in that day and time. That bush didn't burn up. That fire never went out. What if we could have a faith that could withstand anything and doesn't burn out? That's the type of faith that I want to have. So how do we do this? I want to show you what zaps our spiritual zeal. So what takes away that, that spiritual love for God? What causes us to be indifferent? And the first one is this. Write this in your notes. The first thing that zaps our zeal is losing focus of the gospel. We lose focus of the gospel. 
Like, like, like daily, we don't think about what Jesus has done for us. We make church about music and programs and those things. That's good. That's what I do. Like, I'm not down it. I'm a pastor. But we turn the gospel into American churchianity. We lose, lose focus of the sight of that. You know, I realized whenever I planted my first church, my heart was to keep the gospel central. Because I'd realized the first six years of ministry, I was a youth pastor. I got saved in like a charismatic Pentecostal background, things like that. I got saved there. And they did a good job teaching me about prayer. Like, you know, and worship and things like that. But can I tell you something? The gospel was secondary. Once you made the decision for Jesus, you never heard about the cross and the finished work and right standing with God and what righteousness is and all that. You never, you never heard that anymore. You just kind of moved on to different things. You were trying to figure out how to get spiritual breakthrough and all this other stuff. Like you're just talking about, you know, overcoming mountains and great faith, but you never kept the gospel central. And when I planted the first church, our first church in Florida, my goal was to keep the gospel central every time. Because you will lose your fire for God if you do not keep the gospel central of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We can't lose focus of the gospel. The second way we get our zeal zapped is this. We place our faith in people rather than God. We place our faith in people rather than God. Well, how can you say that? Because if somebody hurts you and it affects your relationship with God, then you had more faith in that person than you do God. What people do to you should never affect your relationship with them. Yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah, you're going to be disappointed. May you may even be depressed or discouraged about what they did to you. But if you read the Psalms and you look at that, David went through hell sometimes. Literally had his own son turn on him and take the kingdom from him. And when you write, read Psalms, you're going through a tough time. Because David always stayed connected to God. Even when he was mad at God. Sometimes I'm so mad at you, but I love you. It's like a Jerry Springer episode. I hate you. I hate you. I love you. I love you. Right? That's what he did. And, and we have to also make sure we keep our faith in God, not people. That's what we do, though. We place our faith. And some of you today have come to church. Maybe you were invited. Maybe you decided just to come today. And somebody turned you away from your faith because of what they did to you. And I apologize. Maybe a church hurt, hurt you. But you put your faith in people rather than God. Here, here, here's the third thing that happens. We go to God only when we need him. We go to God only when we need him. Now he is a help in the time of need, right? I mean the scriptures even say that. But kind of in our western cultural Christianity, we just go to God whenever we get in trouble. Right. How do I know that? Before I even follow Jesus, I'm in the back of a cop car, getting, get, getting arrested for something. And y'all, what is this? I don't, even, I don't even believe in God, right? Like, what am I doing at backseat? Oh, God, I'll never do it again. I promise I'll serve you. I'll give my life to you. I mean, I was sweating like Jimmy Swaggart. I was like, oh, God. Oh. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I was a prayer warrior for, for about 10 minutes, right? And what happened when I got out? Same thing. Same thing. Went back to the same thing ever again. Because you get to go only when you need them. And we should turn to God in tough times. It's those, what they call catharsis moments of the heart. And you usually turn to Jesus. Or maybe you've come back to church today because you've been going through a tough, you're at the right place. But if you want to have a sustainable faith and not live with spiritual indifference, you can't just turn to God only when you need him. You have to do more than that. And here's the, the fourth thing that happens. I'm going to get real on you. The reason we lose our spiritual zeal is we normalize and rationalize sin. All right. It's normalizing and rationalizing sin. Kind of just saying... Some churches won't mention sin. We do here because without sin, you don't have a savior. That's the beauty of Jesus. He saves us from our sins, not our issues. And what happens with your spiritual zeal, if you're like, oh yeah, who really cares? I don't care what God thinks about that. If you're a believer, it should bother you. If it bothers God. 
That's the whole idea of the Holy Spirit living in you. And so you have your spiritual zeal zapped when you, again, normalize and rationalize the sin in your life. And we all have sin in our life. So if you think, man, ooh, you're starting to sweat, palms getting sweaty, ooh, same here. We all have it. And we all have different things that we deal with. But we don't normalize it and rationalize it if we don't want to lose our fire for God. So what do we do? How in the world do we combat this? Because we will always have the tension of spiritual indifference. Here's what we do. Write this in your notes. Here's what we're going to do daily. Daily cultivate a heart of passion for God. Daily cultivate a heart of passion for God. That means every day. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Yeah, follow me. Take up your cross and do it daily. We're daily going to cultivate a heart of passion for God. Matter of fact, I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome about this in the first century. He writes to this church and here's what, here's what he says. He says, never be lazy. But work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord how? Enthusiastically. You know what that word enthusiastically means? Enthusiastically. Yeah, that's what exactly it means. It means be happy about serving God. Be passionate about serving God. Matter of fact, that word enutheo uh, means with a passion. To serve God with a passion. To stoke that fire every day in your life somehow, some way. And for you guys today getting baptized, you're going to have high highs and low lows. But you can have a steady relationship with God no matter what things happen to you if you're doing this. And as your pastor, I have to do this too. What I'm giving you, listen, the food I'm cooking for you, I'm eating as well. Because I have to do this daily. I have to make sure that I'm keeping that passion level for, not passion for Thrive. A lot of pastors love their church and their brand. And I don't know about them. I'm not sure it's as much passion for Jesus as it is a brand. And can I tell you, I love Thrive. I love Jesus a lot more than I love Thrive. And, and, and at the end of the day, if God calls me to do something different tomorrow, I'm going to love Jesus as much as I love him as being the pastor of this church, right? Daily cultivate that passion for God. Daily do that. So how do we do it? And we're going to flip the script. Are you ready? Because you just heard four things. Here's four things you got to do. Number one, we're going to focus on the gospel. We're going to put our heart and our focus and everything we have on the gospel. That's why at Thrive, we take communion once a month here. Why do you do that? That's strange. That's not strange. We're doing what Jesus commanded us to do. Because you'll lose sight of the finished work if you don't do that. Matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest church leaders of all time, a great author, he used to take communion every morning that, that he got up to remind himself of the finished work and what God has done for him in Christ. Keep the focus on the gospel. We will always bring you back to Jesus and the gospel at this church. We will always. I had a 75-year-old professor who taught preaching. And he said this. He said, always drive them by the cross each message. And point it out to them. And that's what we want to do here. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to put our faith in God instead of people. We're going to put our faith in God instead of people, right? Listen, people will let you down. Matter of fact, the first week after you're married, what do you understand? You're like, this person's imperfect. What have I done? <laughs> of course, they're going to let you down. Right? Everybody's going to let you down. That's just people. That's what they are. That's who they are. That's what they do. But it should never affect your relationship with God. And don't make God pay for what some knucklehead did to you. Because he'll never let you down. 
Make sure you keep that fire stoked for him by saying, God, people are crazy and you're sovereign and I love you. And no matter what they do to me, I'm still going to be faithful to you. That's what Jesus did. His own people, his own, his own creation turned on him. And what happened? He never lost sight of his love for God and his trust in God even on the cross. What's the third thing that we're going to do? We're not only going to, to say we're going to put our faith in God, not people. But we're also, and watch this, we're going to depend on God daily. How do you keep that fire stoked? Depend on God daily. Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount when he said that prayer. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. He said, give us this day our even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you were probably taught that prayer. My son can pray that prayer, right? At four years old. And there's a principle there that we daily depend on God. Just don't always run to God when you need him. And then when things get good, you're gone again. Don't just always do that. Don't make God like, you know, your lifeline. It's like, God, got an emergency. Can you come help? Don't be like me in the back of that car. Depend on God daily. He wants to be involved in every area of your life. He cares about every detail of your life. And he wants to be involved with that. Matter of fact, guys, I'm going to tell you, leading a church, every day I get up, being a father and being a husband, even being a friend, I let God know I cannot do this without you. I desperately fall on my knees before you, God, because if you don't do this through me, it can't be done. I refuse to live by my own wisdom and my own understanding and my own power. I want you, God. And finally, here's what we're going to do. We're going to confess and forsake sin. We're not going to normalize and rationalize it and say, oh yeah, so who cares? We're going to confess and forsake it. And you say, well, that sounds really old school. Yeah, I'm probably an 80-year-old preacher in this, this, this you know, 40-year-old body, right? I just, I, I just believe in those things. And here's what scripture teaches us. That he who confesses his sins and forsakes them will find mercy from God. And here's what you do. Repentance is, it's vertical and it's horizontal. So you're going to say, God, forgive me. Like the very fact that you feel remorseful about your sin means you're a believer. If you have no remorse of your sin and you don't care, I'm not sure you really ever became a believer. Because the Holy Spirit should live inside of you and he should convict you. It's a good thing. It's not bad. And so here's what happens. You say, God, just, just forgive me. Man, I, I really missed the mark there. And God's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You sit in time out. Yeah. <laughs> no, God's, God loves you. He's like, yeah, that's right, man. We'll get, we'll get past this. I believe in you. Let's do this thing. And God wants to forgive you and cleanse you. But here's the second part. Forgiveness is also, and healing is also horizontal. See, James, the half-brother of Jesus, which you know that Jesus is real and you know the gospel is real. You know how? If your brother calls you Lord, that's something serious. Because I ain't, I'll kick my brother's butt, but I ain't calling him Lord. Even, I, I mean, as a kid, like he used to be, he's bigger and older than I am. He used to beat the, I would never say uncle to him, right? Yeah, say uncle. And James actually called Jesus Lord. So, so you know that's pretty serious. So, but he writes in his letter, and here's what he says. He says, confess your faults one to another. Confess your sins one to another. Why? So you may be healed. See, God will forgive you. But if you want healing from the things that you go across, get some people in your life you can confess to and say, man, I'm just struggling. I, I got a text message from a friend this morning. I said, you have got to pray for me immediately. Like I literally am getting ready to lose it. Like I really need prayer. 
I said, let's, let's chat today. Let's chat today. After my nap after church, let's chat. <laughs> okay, how serious it is. I got to have that nap, right? But there, there are people and there are people in your life. That's why we do small groups here. That's why we have, we have serve teams here. That's why you need an inner circle. Because when you confess to a dear friend about what you're going through, you start to get healing in your heart from what you're going through. We confess to God and confess to others. Because what we're going to do, we're going to daily cultivate a heart of passion for God. We're going to daily stoke the fire. We're going to daily do that. I love building a campfire. Any men love building campfires? Any women? We're equal opportunity employees here. They have more women than men. Yo, men are, y'all are weak at this campus. I better not find out all the women cook chili too. I'm going to get on. Oh, okay, okay. I'm upset now. I love a good a campfire. But what happens at night when you go in the tent and the next morning it goes out? That's what happens to our fire for God. If we don't tend to it and we don't stoke it and we don't put some other wood on it and we don't, we don't tend to that fire, the fire will eventually go out. We'll, have, we'll be spiritually indifferent to Jesus. Spiritually indifferent to God who gave us the greatest gift ever and we're like... Uh, God wants us to live with passion. I'm going to close with this story here. There was a prophet named Elisha in the Old Testament. And Elisha came across this young man one day and he was building, this young man was building a, like a, a ministry school. He was back in the Old Testament thousands of years ago and the, old man, the, the young man's chopping a tree and as he's chopping it, when he pulls out of the tree, his axe head flies off into the water. And Elisha walks up to him and says, what happened? He says, sir, my axe head has flown into the water. I don't have him. I, I, I can't continue to work and do this work for God. And Elisha asked him a question that's super important for us today. He says, show me where you lost it at. Show me the very place you lost the axe head. And he points to the place. And Elisha does a miracle where the axe head floats to the top of the water. And the man gets his axe head back puts it on and goes back to work. I believe God today would probably want to ask me and you, show me where you lost your, your, your passion at. Show me where you lost your zeal. Show me the place. Show me, show me where you got hurt at. Show me where things begin to unravel and you just kind of became indifferent and started going through the motions. Show me. See, God wants the intimate details of your heart. He wants to hear the pain of what it was like when that person did that to you, when that job did that to you, when that, when that church did that to you. He wants to hear that from you because he loves you so much. And he's standing at the door knocking, saying, man, I want a deeper relationship with you, one that you could never imagine. And I want us as believers in here to get rid of the flip phone faith. Let's move to a smartphone faith and start optimizing all that God has for us. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we come to you this morning and we see your heart toward the church at Laodicea. They were, they were just spiritually indifferent. And God, I fall into it so many times. And today there are so many here that struggle with this as well. And as a loving father, you love us. So today you want to correct us. You want to help us to stoke that fire again. So I pray right now, God, in everybody's heart in here, I pray they'd be honest with you, maybe honest with, with a person in their life, and they could show you where they lost it at. They could show you where they lost the fire for their faith, where the fire went out. And God, I pray that once again, you would float 
that axe head to the top of the water. You would bring passion back to them again. You would help them again to regain the fire and the flame of love for you, God. I pray that right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we ask in here that you would stir our affections for you. This week, we a week, we start turning on some worship music in the car. We start looking at the Bible app and open up our Bible at home. That Lord, you would do something significant in our hearts that we would turn from spiritual indifference and turn to you. And God, I pray today that there are people in here today they are saying they want to turn back to you today. May they turn to you, God, and put faith in you. We pray for those getting water baptized today. They're taking that public step of faith that, Lord, you would make sure they never forget this message that through highs and lows, their faith would always stay steady in you. They would always love you because you first loved us. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' good name. Amen.